0: Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word.
1: They said, God, we know that you parted the Red Sea and that your people went through on dry land. And when those that were pursuing them came, you just let the waters close up and they drowned in the water. We know you did that. He said, you led them, they were led supernaturally. Imagine being a this large group of people and all of a sudden you're free from Egypt and you don't know where to go, you're just wondering. God said, I led you guys supernaturally. There was a cloud, there was a cloud overhead by day and you knew that when the cloud moved, you needed to move. I want you to think about the mercy there.
0: As Christians, we all know the story of Moses freeing the Israelites from Egypt, but oftentimes we forget the importance The miracles that Moses performed were incredible, and it's easy to take the story for granted. Today, Pastor Bill explains that the miracles performed by God are powerful statements to who He is in your life. Miracles such as parting the Red Sea and manna from heaven aren't just fun stories. They are reminders. Never forget that He is always working everything for your good. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of Nehemiah chapter 9. For today's edition of a transforming word.
1: Nehemiah chapter 9, starting at verse 1, it says, Now on the 24th day of this month, the children of Israel were assembled with fasting and sackcloth with dust on their heads. Then those of Israelite lineage separated themselves from all foreigners, and they stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. And they stood up in their place and read from the book of the law Of the Lord their God for one fourth of the day. And for another fourth, they confessed and worshiped the Lord their God. So we got a few things in these first few verses. First of all, again, it follows what we read last week. The children of Israel, they're assembled with fasting and sackcloth with dust on their heads. All of these were positions of, they were humbling themselves before the Lord. One of the reasons people fasted in scripture was to repent. Uh, they were fast. They're saying, God, I'm, I, I'm I'm repenting. I'm turning from sin to you. And, and I'm not going to enjoy normal comforts right now. I'm not going to eat food. Uh, one such fast we see in the book of Jonah. If you guys remember in Jonah, when when Jonah finally went to Nineveh and preached the message, and he didn't even tell them, he, his message was short. He wanted them to get judged. He just said 40 days in judgment. And the leadership, the king said, man, maybe, perhaps God will, you know, Will not punish us if we if we repent. And so they made everybody fast. They made the animals fast. That's in Jonah chapter 3, 3 through 9. Everybody had to go on a fast just to see what God would do, and God relented. That means God, he held back the judgment he would have brought upon Nineveh as they repented, and he forgave them, which is what he wanted to do in the first place. But fasting was one way of just showing God your, your sorrow, your humility. When they would throw dust on their heads, it's just a little dirt, picking up dirt and throwing it on your head. Sackcloth was, was like a like wearing a burlap sack, so they were making themselves uncomfortable. No, no normal comforts. We're humbling ourselves before the Lord. This is what they were doing here. And it says they separated themselves from all foreigners because this was an Israelite issue. It was a it was a covenant thing. It was we're the Israelites. We have a relationship with God, and we got to get this stuff right. So they separated from everybody else to come and and do business if you will with the Lord. And then it says they confessed the sins and the iniquities of their fathers. They acknowledged not only their own sins but historically they're going to we're going to see this is a very biblical biblically historical prayer as they pray through Israel's history and all the different times where God had been faithful but they had not. God had been faithful and they had not. And I want to just cheat ahead and say this One of the keys to real repentance, real spiritual transformation is being able to acknowledge where you went wrong. If you can't say where you went wrong, uh, it's it's not likely that you're going to be able to go right from here. If you can't call sin, sin, if you can't look back and say, man, I should not have said that. I should not have done that. That was rebellion right there. If you can't acknowledge what you did wrong, you're probably not even you're not even you're not even taking step one towards repentance if you can't call uh, what you did and, and acknowledge it before the Lord. And so they're they're going to confess their sins, the sins of their fathers. I want you to note this in verse three. They read from the book of the law for a fourth, one fourth of the day. Break that down. That's six hours of reading. So for y'all to think I go long, ha, you know, sit six hours and they're reading the law of God six hours. Then after listening to the word for six hours for another fourth of the day, another six hours they confessed and they worshiped for another six hours. They confessed and worshiped before God. And I want you to read that and just think that's half the day, 12 hours of the day they spent just with the Lord listening and then confession and worshiping the Lord. Uh, for those that have a hard time cutting God in to your life, making time, for the Lord, um, I think one of the things that will happen when we're broken before the Lord is we'll make time. We'll, we'll realize how important He is, how unimportant many of the other things that have sque- that, that 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 we let squeeze God out of our lives are, and we'll once again make time for the Lord. And again, this is generous amounts of time—six hours of reading, six hours of confession and worship. I mean, after that they I mean, you clean if you if you confess and pray for six hours. Ain't nothing else to confess. You got it all squared away. You are you are clean before the Lord. And so that's what they're doing here. They're getting it right with the Lord. Verses four and five. They're going to list the names of the leaders and the Levites who were there. If you guys remember last week when the people were read the word, they had leaders and Levites that were helping the people understand the word. They were down there explaining like little small groups, making sure people understood what they were hearing. And so these guys are listed here. I'm gonna do my best real quick to say these names. I, I I think I got them down on this one. So look at verse four. It Says then, Jeshua, Benai, Cadmiel, Shebaniah, Shab- Shab- Bunny or Benai, Sheribia, Shere- Benai, and Shania stood on the stairs of the Levites and cried out with a loud voice to the Lord their God. And the Levites, Jeshua, Cadmiel, Kad- 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 uh, Benai. Hashbaniah, Sherebiah, Hodijah, Shebaniah, and Petha, Pethathiah said, this is what they said, stand up and bless the Lord your God forever and ever. And so these guys that have been instructing, they've been helping the people out, they've been giving, you know, explanation to the word, they say, hey guys, it's time to stand up and bless the Lord your God forever and ever. And I just want to say that's spiritual leadership. Spiritual leadership Is going to lead people right past you to the Lord. That's a good spiritual leader will lead a person right past them to, to, man, cry out to God. Look to the Lord. And it says they, they bless. This is what they said. Blessed be your glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. And so they just they open up with this praise to the Lord. Now in verse six and the rest is going to be a prayer. I want you to note this that that prayer is going to carry out through the rest of the chapter as they they lift up a prayer to the Lord. This prayer is is going to seem like a history lesson as uh, you can actually walk through books of the Bible. You can go Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus through all these these the, the things that they pray they're praying through the different seasons of Israel's history where God had been so faithful to them yet they had not been faithful to the Lord. And what they're doing in their confession is they're saying, God, we know what our forefathers did. We know what you did. You were good. You were faithful. And we know what they did. They were not obedient to your word. And they're going to walk through (laughs) confessing not just their own sins, but the sins of those that have gone before them. Verse six, it says, you alone are the Lord. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens with all their hosts, the earth and everything on it, the seas and all that is in them. And you preserve them all. The host of heaven worships you. And they just open up praising God that he's the creator. He's created everything. He's made everything. It's all been done through him. And I, I want to just note that it's a great way to open. I think most prayers should open up with praise, just giving thanks. Before we ask for anything, um, let's thank him for all that he's already done. For You can worship him for who he is, for what he's done. There's so many angles of how I can praise the Lord, how I can give thanks to him. You can spend some time praising him for who he is, just his character. You're the creator. You're a good God. You are merciful, just who you are. Then what you've done. God, you saved me. You died on the cross for me. When I wasn't thinking about you, you were thinking about me. You can just, just spend some time there worshiping him. You can Then you can worship him and praise him for answer prayer and all the stuff he's already done before you even open up a request before the Lord. I would encourage that pattern for prayer. It does something for your own faith too. As you're reminded of how faithful he is, I can go to my requests with great faith in him. And so uh, they open up just praising the Lord that he's so worthy and deserving of that. And now they begin verses uh, seven and eight. We're gonna look at, as, they, as they're praying, they're acknowledging the, the error of Abraham and the covenant God made with him. And so verse seven, it says, you are the Lord God who chose Abram. And brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans and gave him the name Abraham. You found his heart faithful before you and made a covenant with him to give the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, and the Girgashites to give it to his descendants. You have performed your words for you are righteous. They said, God, we know what you did with Abram, how you made him Abraham. How you made promises to him and you made a covenant with him. And we know you kept your word. Everything you said you were going to do, you did it. You did give them victory over all them ites, the, the the Hittites, the Amorites, the Jebusites, the Gergesites, and all the ites. You gave them victory over them like you said you would um, because you're, you're, you're true to your words and you are righteous. Now, verses 9 through 12, as they are continuing their prayer, they're walking through the exodus from Egypt and all that God did there. Look at verse 9. It says, you saw the affliction of our fathers in Egypt, and you heard their cry by the Red Sea. You showed signs and wonders against Pharaoh, against all his servants, and against all the people of his land, for you knew that they acted proudly against you. I'm sorry, you knew that they acted proudly against them, so you made a name for yourself as it is this day. And you divided the sea before them so that they went through the midst of the sea on dry land, and their Persecutors you threw into the deep as a stone into the mighty waters. Moreover, you led them by day with a cloudy pillar and by night with a pillar of fire to give them light on the road which they should travel. And so he says, God, back in Egypt, you heard the cry of your people when they were in bondage in Egypt, and you showed up. And you delivered them from Pharaoh. And it, it, all the miracles that God did, how, you know, they were acting proudly, but God intervened. God sent a deliverer to them. Then when they were led out, they, the miracles. You don't want to forget the miracles, you guys, of the past. They said, God, we know that you parted the Red Sea and that your people went through on dry land. And when those that were pursuing them came, you just let the waters close up and they drowned in the water. We know you did that. He said, you led them. They were led supernaturally. Imagine being a, this large group of people and all of a sudden you're free from Egypt and you don't know where to go. You're just wondering. God said, I led you guys supernaturally. There was, a cloud, there was a cloud overhead by day and you knew that when the cloud moved, you needed to move. I want you to think about the mercy there. Y'all know the desert is hot. And so, you know, God could have chosen anything to lead him. He said, in the daytime, there's going to be a cloud covering you guys and I'm going to lead you with that cloud. And when it moves, you move. And when it sits still, you sit still. A cloud overhead by day. At nighttime, a pillar of fire to lead you. And and so God says supernaturally led you and directed you guys and gave you light on the road which you should travel. And here is, again, an acknowledgement that God was being faithful to his people. He continues now in verse 13, 13 and 14 um, he's going to talk to us about the giving of the law on Mount Sinai and how God gave instruction and he met them in that way. He says, You came down also, verse 13, on Mount Sinai, and spoke with them from heaven, and gave them just ordinances and true laws, good statutes and commandments. You made known to them your holy Sabbath and commanded them precepts, statutes, and laws by the hand of Moses your servant. And you gave them bread from heaven. For their hunger, and you brought them water out of the rock for their thirst, and told them to go in and possess the land which you had sworn to give them. So it says here: Look, God came on Mount Sinai. If you guys remember those stories, and it was supernatural. And He gave the law. He gave instruction. He told them, "This is how to stay in relationship with Me. I'll obey these things. Do what I tell you to do." He did this through the through the servant Moses. Then they said, "Look, they were hungry." If you guys remember. They were always complaining. I read the stories of the Old Testament. I feel bad for Moses. Um, Moses was, was made a leader of all these people, and they were whining and complaining the whole time. They got taken out of Egypt and they were crying, wah, wah. you know, we we had better food there. And and, and and Moses had to go before the Lord constantly to feed them, to get water for them. And God was merciful to that group. And he fed them supernaturally. He says, I gave you bread for your hunger. From heaven, You guys know the story, it's the manna, that God would provide every day a sufficient amount of manna. It would just fall down on the ground from heaven and was available in the morning. They were to take just enough for the day. And God had made a provision that their need was met every single day. When they were in places where there was no water, God would instruct Moses and God would give them water out of the rock. Supernatural provision of water for them. And he says, and 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 he gave them. He was bringing them to the land which he had sworn to give to them. And I just want to, you know, as as we highlight these things, we're going to get to in a little while their rebellion. But I want you just to hear that as they're praying, they're saying, "God, we know it was, we know it wasn't you. It was us. You've been good. You let us out here. You delivered us there. You took us out of bondage here. You fed us there. God, you've been good." And I, I was just pause for a moment and ask you at home if you would rehearse your life and not what you've done, but what God's done, I think that we would find the same thing. God's track record is faithful. We haven't always been faithful. We maybe haven't always done the right things, but God has been faithful. God, 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 God keeps his word. He does what he says he's going to do. He can be trusted. He should be worshiped. Um, all these things are, are just are reminding us as we read through their history of who God is, and he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, verses 16 through 21, we're going to now begin to look at Israel's rebellion. After all that God had done for them, after he had called Abram and made a covenant with him, after he led him out of Egypt from bondage, after he gave them the law at Mount Sinai, after he miraculously provided food and water for them, um, now, verses 16 through 21, We'll see. It's the first word in verse 16 is but. And that's always a transitional term. So we've been looking at the consistent faithfulness of God. God's in all these things. Now it says, but. And we know that there's a transition that happens in verse 16. It starts here. But they and our fathers acted proudly, hardened their necks, and did not heed your commandments. They refused to obey and were not mindful of your wonders. That you did among them, but they hardened their necks and in their rebellion, they appointed a leader to return to their bondage. Let me stop. I want to just one by one go through these and I want you to want you to listen to this. And if you can identify yourself or attitudes of your own heart, hear this and, and make the adjustments. Right. This these are the things. These are the attitudes of heart that kept people from the promises of God. These are the attitudes of heart and the behaviors that kept people away from the good that God wanted to do for them. Number one, they acted proudly. Anybody listening, are you proud? Do you do what you want to do? I know God said, but I'm going to do what I want. That's That's the idea of acting proudly is I'm not submitting. I'm going to do my thing. Do you act proudly? That's what they did. That was the attitude of heart. Then it says they hardened their necks. God is saying, look, you guys... Harden your neck to me. You wouldn't do what I wanted you to do. You wouldn't just yield as I was trying to move you this way. You wouldn't go where I wanted you to go. At nighttime, I have a dog. It's a Cane Corso, a big old 100-something-pound dog. And some nights, he's excited to go into his crate. He wants to come in. But sometimes when I put him in the crate, he doesn't want to go. And so if he wants to go into the crate, when I walk him to it, uh, I'll have his leash in my hand like this or his, his, uh, his collar. He'll leave me to go into the crate. When he wants to go, but when he doesn't, if I have his collar, when I get right to the door of the crate, he puts his front legs down and he tenses up and I got to shove it in there. And and that's what it is, just to harden your neck. Don't harden your neck to the Lord. Don't stiffen up. We want to yield to God, not resist him in any way. They hardened their necks. It says that they also, they did not heed your commandments. That means, God, I know what your word said, do, but I'm not going to do it. I won't, I'm not going to heed your commandments. Verse 17, the fourth thing they refused to obey. I'm not going, God. I'm not going to obey you. I refuse to obey. Imagine that to refuse to obey. Can I tell you? I talked to two people this week, and, and I, it's maybe the most frustrating thing as a pastor to talk to someone that says, "I know what God's word says, and I know what I'm supposed to do, and I'm looking. I'm telling you straight up, I'm not going to do it right now." And I'm like, there's nothing else I can do for you because I'm not the Holy Ghost. I can't bring about conviction. Uh, I'm not God. I can't spank you. You know, but it's like, man, I'm what do you do for the person that says, God, I know what your word says and I won't do it. There's nothing else to do but to step back and wait for the Lord to to deal with them. And that's what happens here. They they refuse to obey. It says, and they were not mindful of your wonders that you did among them. And, And the idea is that they forgot all the great things God had done for them. They weren't mindful. They didn't didn't keep it in their mind, all the wonderful things God had done. Don't miss that. This is part of what went wrong, is they weren't mindful of what God had done. We need to be mindful of the things that God has done in the past, the answer prayers, the deliverance, the mercy, the faithfulness, the prayers that you pray, God, please, if you just do this and he did it, don't forget that. Don't forget when you cried out and he heard you. Don't forget when you pleaded and the Lord. listened. don't forget when you sought him and he responded. Be mindful of his wonders. Don't be forgetful of his wonders. Then it says, but they hardened their neck and in their rebellion, they appointed a leader to return to their bondage. You guys taking notes in Numbers 14, verse four, they were sick of Moses. And they said, man, get 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 somebody else. We want we want the leeks and the onions. Get somebody to take us back to Egypt. And they literally were looking for a leader to take them back. God, we don't want to be here where you brought us. We want to go. Imagine wanting to go back to where they were slaves. Imagine, I mean, I, I can't even fathom that. That that they would that they would that they meant it. We want to go back to where they were whipping us, where we were slaves, baking bricks in the hot sun. We want to go back there. And they were looking for a leader to take them to do that. Then it says, I want you to note the next but, right? Look at the end of verse, toward the end of verse 17. It says, but you are God, ready to pardon, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abundant in kindness, and did not forsake them. For those who like to say, man, the God of the Old Testament was so harsh, you know, just always, you know, burning up folk and firing brimstone, I want you to hear this right here. It says, but you are God. This is the God of the Bible, the God of the Old Testament and the New Testament. So you were ready to pardon. God was ready to pardon them. It says he was gracious and merciful. Gracious when God gives us what we don't deserve, just his unmerited, undeserved favor. Gracious and merciful. Mercy is when we don't get what we do deserve. We deserve a whooping, but we don't get it. God says, I'm both gracious. And merciful. My favorite grace and mercy story, grace and, grace and mercy story in my life is uh, when I was a kid, my mom would pick us up from school and at report card time, if we had got good report cards, of which I have not got many, um, we would go to the Hawthorne Mall and there was a place in the Hawthorne Mall that's like a frozen yogurt place and you could put treats and stuff on top of your frozen yogurt. So if you did good, you get a frozen yogurt. And in my household, if you did bad, you got a whooping. And normally about report card time, I knew I had a whooping coming. And uh, your mom would go to school, to parent-teacher conference. The teacher could tell on you for all the stuff you did bad. And then you get, she'd get your report card and find out all the work you didn't do that you said you did. And you'd go home and be in trouble. Not too long ago, my wife was in the garage with my kids. And they found a box of my report cards. And they came in laughing at me. I remember it was fifth grade. My teacher's name was Miss Beasley, and I had been cutting up. I hadn't done work. I had been messing up. I was spitting spitballs and all kind of stuff in class. And when my mom came back to the car, my sister had done well and had good grades, and she just congratulated her. And I remember my mom just looked at me, and she was like, I don't know what to do with you.
0: Thank you for joining us here today on A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. Pastor Bill is making his way through the fascinating book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah's purpose was to make sure the walls and gates of Jerusalem were built, a project that required considerable resources. But in this book, we see that resources are never a problem for God. When Nehemiah talked to the king, he not only gave him permission to go build the wall, but he sent him loaded down with all the resources he would need to finish the work. If God can do that with a pagan king, imagine what he can do with your willing heart. A Transforming Word is a ministry out of Calvary Chapel, Inglewood. And we have a question for you. Would you like to be a part of what God is doing through this great ministry? Do you wanna be a part of God's word going out into the world? One way you can do that is through praying for us. We need all the prayer we can get, but we'd also like to offer you the opportunity to partner with us financially. Here's what you need to do. Head over to CalvaryEnglewood.org to give online or download our mobile app to give that way. Once again, that website is CalvaryEnglewood.org, and you'll find a link to our mobile app right there as well. While you're there, check out the other resources we have to offer you, like archived messages or you can follow along with our daily Bible reading plan. And with that, it's time to say goodbye for now. We'll see you here again next time with more from Nehemiah on A Transforming Word.